0: Galatians chapter 4, and we'll be starting at verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things have been taken figuratively. The woman, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother, it is written, for it is written, "'Be glad, barren w- woman,' you who never bore a child, break forth and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of, slave, of the slave woman, but of the free woman.
1: Thanks, Rosie. As we've, um, as we've seen in Galatians, the basic um, question is whether there's stuff that we've got to do to be part of the in-crowd in church. To get in with God and to get in with others. Now, now, just remember, there's three groups of people we've got to keep in mind, kind of as, as we're reading this letter. There's Paul and his gospel crew, who, uh, who preached the good news of freedom in Christ and started the churches around uh, Galatia and around that region. And Paul's the one who's writing this letter. And then the second group are the Galatian Christians. These are the people the letter is to, in the churches. Uh, and they're a group of people from a whole range of mixed social and ethnic and cultural and status backgrounds in the church. And they're only about a year or so into their spiritual life. They're all super young Christians, and, and just, just early on in, in the spiritual life. And then the third group are the false teachers. They came from Jerusalem, and they followed around after Paul, and they went around teaching a slightly different message to Paul. They said, to be proper Christians, there's some stuff you've got to do to become more culturally Jewish. It doesn't matter what background you come from, you've got to do this stuff to really fit in in the church. And the letter is, in large part, about them and about their message. Poor the Galatians and these false teachers. And what would happen in Galatia is that a division had been created in the church where people stopped hanging out for meals and stuff with other people just because of the background that they came from. And so there were these divisions and rifts going on in the church and how people spent their time and who they hung out with and who they spoke to. And then some people, in addition to that, were forcing other people to do certain things and back then it was mainly circumcision, to really belong in the church. So you've got this church that's starting to fracture and divide in all of these different ways. And the church of Jesus, of all places, is the place where that kind of thing should never, ever happen. Because the whole point in the church, isn't it, is that the only reason that any of us are here today is because of the gift that we've received from Jesus for free. That's the only reason any of us are here. It's the gift of God's love and grace in Jesus. None of us are here because we've done anything, because we've achieved anything, because we are something, because we're from a certain background or culture, or we know something, or whatever else. No, we're here because of Christ. You see, there's a link between how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. And Galatians is all about how that link has gone wrong for certain people in certain churches. Now, this is a timely message for us as a church, because there is this increasing reality amongst us, a small but increasing reality. We hope it will become even more so of one, that we have people from a variety of different backgrounds, from a variety of different uh, life experiences together in one church. We talk about becoming a diverse family as a church, and we're seeing that just happen uh, a little bit over time. And we want to say thanks to God for that and recognize that and, and, and give thanks and praise to him for that. But also we recognize that we're experiencing what you could call growing pains of that experience. People are struggling in our church to relate to one another and to get along with one another. People don't feel comfortable in this church. Many people don't feel particularly comfortable. Toby spoke about that a number of weeks ago. Sometimes we cause offense to one another and we hurt each other. Sometimes we even exclude others. Not often, I think most of the time it's not purposeful, it's not malicious, it's not intentional, but it is happening. It is happening. We need to know that. And Galatians is coaching us in how what we have in Christ, what we share in Christ, this freedom that we have in Christ, how that unites us and how that puts us together and helps us to love one another well across The differences that we might have in some of our backgrounds and experiences and whatever else. It's a timely message for us. How do we live out our freedom in Christ together? Well, today, particularly this sermon, is an exercise in enjoying and safeguarding our freedom in Christ. Those are going to be my two points, enjoying and safeguarding. And you know, if you're born into the freedom of the gospel, if you're born into a reality that everything you have rests on Christ and not on you, then then the basic message of today is don't get duped into going back to some kind of spiritual slavery of thinking or acting like it does depend on you and it does rely on you. That's a backward step, isn't it? Don't do that you know, there are many things within us, there are many things within me, and there are many things certainly in the world around us that will try to lead us back into that kind of place of thinking and living. And that's why we are laboring this point as we go through this letter week after week. Our concern is that together we would live in the beautiful freedom of Christ. Together we would live uh, in in, in that freedom and, and, and be liberated together and not go away from that and not go back to something else dividing along cultural or other lines or whatever else within the church of Christ. So today is about enjoying and safeguarding the freedom that you have been born into in Christ. Firstly, enjoy the freedom. This is the the big point of this whole section. If you look uh, with me back at your Bibles, if you can, page 1171, look at at the verse 28 there on on that right-hand column. It says, you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's the big point. You are children of promise. verse 31, it said again, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Now, before we get into this, let's just acknowledge something. Like a few weeks ago, when Johnny was preaching, the imagery of slavery is used in our passage again here today. Now, just remember this. It's an image that's used to explain a spiritual reality. And it's not what we think of when we hear the word slavery with the horrors of people trafficking and hatred and oppression and violence and racism and, and, and all of that kind of stuff, which is, which is just so evil. It's perhaps more helpful for us when we hear this word to think of domestic servants in, in a large stately home or, or something like that. So the main point of here between being slave and free in this imagery is the difference in status between a servant in a household and a child in a household. Uh, as far as the privileges and the rights and, and the wealth and the riches and the inheritance goes. If, I mean, those of you into Downton Abbey, I think that's the, the best way to think of it, and Johnny referred to it a few weeks ago. It's the difference between a servant in, in that household who's like downstairs with everything and then, and then those who are the children of the household who have all of the rights and the privileges of that. So that, that's what's going on with this slavery imagery. It, it's, kind of, it's, it's not more than that, really. Now, the point is this. If you are a Christian then you are a child of the promises of God. And that means that you have all of the rights and all of the privileges of a child of God. You're a child of the households. And you have all of this because you've been born again by the power of the Spirit. There's this new life that's been given to you as a result of the divine promise, a promise from God. And the Spirit makes it real and makes it personal for you. If you think of it like this, just like none of us did anything ourselves to get ourselves born, we relied fully on what our parents did. Don't think about it too much. So too, as children of the promise of God, it never depended on you. It never depended on us or anything we could do to get this new spiritual life, but it depends all on the promise of God. We're children of the divine promise. Now, the alternatives are all around us of, of how else you might think of ourselves of kind of getting a new spiritual life. The alternatives are that we might earn this new life, we might deserve it in some way, whether it's by being good enough or wise enough or spiritual or moral enough or whatever else it is. But all of those things are like being born into a spiritual slavery because it all rests on you. You've got to do something to get yourself born and you've got to keep performing to keep yourself alive. And so it's tiring and ultimately it's ineffective. Now, Paul writes here, no. If you're a Christian, you're a child of the promise of God. You're here because of divine promise. And so you have a freedom and a life that comes with that. Now, we're helped in this passage to appreciate this and to not forget it and to enjoy it through remembering our heritage and our family line in which we come. What Paul does is he gives this brief history lesson of our family tree in in verses 22 and 23. He retells the story of Abraham and his family from from Genesis at the beginning of the Bible. And admittedly, maybe as as Rosie read it, you were just like, what is going on here? It sounds pretty confusing, doesn't it? And uh, we can get lost in the middle of all of this imagery. He's just throwing out these images all over the place. But listen, at heart, it really isn't that complex. In, In verse 24, Paul says this. He says, I'm using this story figuratively It's an allegory, it's an example, and what he's using it to show us is the experience of all people through history and how we relate to God. And the one simple aim of this story is this. He wants us to realize and to enjoy the freedom that we've been born into. And so he he shows us that freedom and he contrasts it with this other way, this other way of spiritual slavery that we've been set free from. And he says, he's saying, look, look, you're not like a domestic servant in the household. No, you're you're children of the household. You're you're children of the household of God uh, with all of the privilege that comes. Let let me just try and tell the story in the next few minutes or so. I've got some graphics to to help us get it. And it starts with Abraham, this random guy, 2,000 years BC. He looked just like that. And uh, he was living life, minding his own business, uh, worshiping pagan gods, just going about his day-to-day. And the God of the Bible speaks into abraham's life and he promises him a whole uh, a whole load of stuff Uh, and he calls him to faith to believe in those promises he promises that it'll be a great nation and he'll be uh, have this land and he'll be a blessing and through him he'll bless the whole world and and all of these promises are centered on this son that god promises abraham he's going to have abraham's old and childless and he's married to a woman who is barren called sarah And the decades roll on since the promise of God is given. And Abraham's now into his hundreds and nothing's happening. So it seems like it's a dead end for the promises of God and the blessing of God. So Abraham and Sarah concoct a plan full of human cunning and worldly wisdom. If God's promises and blessing are going to be fulfilled through Abraham's son, then you know what we need to do, Abraham? We need to get you a son. Let's give God a helping hand. So Abraham marries Sarah's slave girl, the servant from Egypt, Hagar. And Hagar bears Abraham a son called Ishmael. And this is the son for whom the blessing of God is going to come. Now, listen, this isn't a great plan. Okay, It's not a great plan. Taking a second wife and and taking a slave as a wife and, and trying to force God's hand. Verse 23 is very clear in this passage. Ishmael was born according to the flesh. This is human thinking. This is human power. This is, this is the smartest human mind, human cunning and strength. Another decade or so later, God does deliver on his promise in his way and according to his timing. And Isaac is born to Sarah. Verse 23, this son is born of divine promise. And God confirms that through this son Isaac, the child of the free woman, the promises of God and the blessing will come. Two women, two sons, one born according to human power and wisdom, according to the flesh, and one born as a result of the divine promise of God. In verse 24, they represent something bigger. They represent two covenants. That's two different ways that people can relate to God and seek a, a, a relationship with God, and we see that depicted in two mountains and two cities. It seems confusing, but you'll see as it flows down. So, so the first way in, in, on the left-hand side there is this mountain of Mount Sinai where Moses received the Old Testament law from God, and that corresponds to the, modern, uh, the current city of Jerusalem, as Paul writes. That's the capital of the Jewish society, the capital of religion with the temple and all of the religious stuff that goes with it. And yet, when Paul writes, it's in captivity to Rome. Jerusalem itself is a slave in that day. But but what really matters, what all of this points to, what it signifies, below this line here, is that this all represents the old covenant of law. This is where people's relationship with God is shaped by what we do or what we did and didn't do. In some ways, it's always shaped and affected by our performance. But there's another mountain, not mentioned here, but it is Mount Zion. And that's the mountain of God, which on Good Friday was the hill of Calvary, where Jesus died on the cross. And the city that comes with this mountain, verse 26, is the heavenly Jerusalem. It's the city of the living God, the city of God in heaven, and the people of God that is forever free and forever untainted and unblemished. And the reality that all of this points to is the covenant of grace. This is the new covenant in Jesus' blood, where people's relationship with God is shaped, not by what we did and didn't do, but shaped by Christ, who he is and what he did do and what he now does for us. Listen, if I've lost you, come back to me at this moment, okay? Come back to me at this moment. This is the main thing, okay? This whole side of the family tree on the left, is one of spiritual slavery. This is the side where you're seeking to get the blessing and the life of God according to the flesh, according to human wisdom and power and might. And this side on the right is the place of spiritual freedom. That's receiving all the great things we have by the promise of God and believing in them and nothing more than that. Here's the significance for us. History lesson over. Paul says, you brothers and sisters in the church... You're on the right-hand side. You, like Isaac, are children of promise. You are people of freedom in Christ. This is your side of the family tree. And you guessed it, the false teachers. Those who want to be under the law. Those who think it depends on them and how good they are, how smart they are, how moral they are, how spiritual they are. Those are children of spiritual slavery. They're caught up in this system and on this way of life that does not bring freedom. It does not bring life. It traps people in these endless cycles of performance and failure and performance and failure. This is the simple point that Paul's wanting to make with all of these confusing pictures. Remember the significant thing that Galatians is showing to us. There is a link in how we relate to God and how we relate to each other. If you're effectively caught up in this system of spiritual slavery, thinking you've got to perform and you've got to do certain things to win God's favour and to be okay, then you're going to expect and you're going to impose that on others around you. They've got to do certain things to be okay with us, to, to be able to be in our church. To, they've got to meet certain standards to be at home here and be one of us. What if we do that? If you do that, you're not enjoying the freedom that you have in Christ. If you do that, if we do that, we're not letting one another enjoy the freedom that we've been born into in Christ. This is a tale of two cities. Every person who has and every person who will ever live lives in one side of this family tree. This is the whole human race on the screen there. Every person lives in one of these cities, spiritually speaking. We either try and impress God and others so that we're accepted. But actually, that just lands us in spiritual slavery. And some people believe that's what God wants in them and so they reject an idea of God because they don't want a God like that and so they end up in spiritual slavery anyway. You're still on that side. Or we receive and we believe and we rely on the promises of God to us in Christ as our only hope Slave city of earth, the free city of heaven. Which one are you a citizen of? Where do you live spiritually? If you're a Christian, if you're a child of promise, you're of the free woman, then you live in that city of heaven. And the point is this, enjoy it. Basking in it. Just breathe in that air. You know when you go up to the mountains and it's like fresh air and you just, you're just kind of breathe it in. You're not in the smog of the city anymore. That's, what, that's where Paul lands with us in in Verse 27. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman than her, of her who has a husband. He says, be glad. Break forth and cry out with happiness for, for the life of flourishing, the life of fruitfulness and abundance that does not depend on you, that you don't have to grab hold of and you don't have to keep, but it's a free gift from Father God to you in Christ, given by the Spirit. Now, This is a quote here, this little poem from Isaiah 54, and it was given to the people of God at a time when it really was not okay. They were at their lowest step. They had royally messed up. They'd been overpowered by the, the, a nation near them called Babylon. They were in exile in that country, and for all intents and purposes, they were in slavery. They weren't fruitful at all. They weren't fulfilling God's promises. They weren't achieving anything. They weren't winning at life. They weren't bearing the faithful child who was going to deliver them and, and bring them goods. Babylon was flourishing, all right. Babylon looked abundant. And God promises, into that, God promises that He will give them a reason to shout with joy. God promises to weak people. God promises to fruitless people. God promises to people who have just messed it up, royally messed it up. God says, I will make you fruitful. I will bring life. I'll bring blessing. I will renew and restore, and I'll do it through my Savior. I'll do it through my promised one. You're going you're to feel like you're a barren and desolate woman who suddenly has this great blessing, this massive family. That's the transformation that God can bring and does bring and promises to us. Listen, for many of us, like, I, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure we will be wondering if we really are children of promise. It doesn't feel like it, you say. Not this morning. Not with what I'm walking through. It doesn't feel like abundance and fruitfulness in life. You see my health history. You see my health future. What about my family situation? What about my friendships? What about my work life? Whatever else it might be. Where are the areas of life where it feels like God is not delivering. God's not delivering in the timing or the way that you would like. Maybe God's just not delivering at all. We've all got them, haven't we? And maybe like Abraham, we're tempted to take things into our own hands. God, I'll give you a helping hand running my life. God, you might just need a little, you know, this direction here kind of thing. And we think, God, if I can help you, then, yeah, I know how I can get life to full. I know how life can be more fruitful and more abundant and more good. Let's, let's, let's do that, God. But no, it's not ours to do that. That's not our side of the family tree. That kind of move takes us into spiritual slavery. Takes us into spiritual slavery. The extent to which we take matters into our own hands is the extent to which we forfeit our freedom in Christ. The extent to which we trust in the promises of God, come what may, whatever our situation is, whatever is going on around us, trusting in the promises of God is the extent to which we entrust ourselves into his hands and so we walk in freedom. We are children of the promises of Gods, Our life comes from the Spirit. Our blessing and our future is a result of a divine promise to us. Life on this side of the family tree doesn't often look too glamorous, guys. It doesn't often look too impressive in the here and now. It doesn't feel like you're winning at life. You're not getting that wrong. Look at the rest of us. <laughs> but We'll share in an inheritance in the end. We'll share in the inheritance of God's family. We are promised a life of great abundance and flourishing and fullness in the end. You did nothing to get saved. You're going to do nothing to bring this in the end. We receive, we believe, we have faith. Just enjoy and breathe in this fresh gospel Sitting here this morning, it does not depend on you. You haven't had to bring anything into this building. You don't have to take anything out. Just receive. It's good for your soul. Jesus says, "Those who he sets free, they are really, 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 truly free." That's us. That's the main point. This 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 one's much uh, much shorter. Not only enjoy it, but safeguard it. Safeguard the freedom you've been born into. If that's what we've got, if that's true. You want to throw that away? You want to trade that out? Imagine being do- born as a um, kind of back to Downton Abbey, being do- born as one of the daughters. I think they only have daughters in that family. Is that right? Yeah, one of the daughters of, of Lord and thanks, thanks, Kellen. Um, being born as one of the daughters of Lord and Lady Grantham, like, it would be madness. Being, you know, all of the riches and all of the rest that you get of that, going and, and then working as a domestic servant and living in the servants' quarters and taking the servants' pay rather than the riches of being a daughter of the household, wouldn't it? Like, you, you just wouldn't make that kind of mood uh, Move. Listen, we've been born again into great spiritual privilege. Our status in life is is pretty awesome. Every spiritual blessing, every blessing that you could think of or dream up or imagine, every one of those. Spiritual blessings is ours in Christ, is yours today. Now listen, guard that with zeal. That's like like the most treasured and and special possession you have. I mean, look at the way, uh, you probably can't see, but I'm looking at the way that Toby's holding his little daughter there, and he's he's holding her pretty solid, and she looks quite happy. Well, guard it more, more preciously than that, than even Toby guards his daughter and holds her in his arms. Don't let anyone, and don't let anything, Steal that gospel freedom away from you. Because there are many things that we'll try to, both confusingly in our own hearts, but also other people and other things in the world around us will try and take this freedom away. Paul, Paul warns in verse 21, he warns against going back to that spiritual slavery. For there are some who strangely find it more comforting in some way. I guess old habits die hard, and we kind of just return to that that way of life. And then in verse 29, he he warns that those who live according to the flesh and spiritual slavery, well, they're going to give a hard time to those who live by the power of the Spirit. There's always been this discord between the people of the Spirit and the people of the world, this long-standing kind of sibling rivalry that's been simmering through history. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. And... People in the world have always found those who live by the power of the Spirit and just trusting in Christ and Christ alone peculiar and weird. And they've got a case for it at points, haven't they? But, but they find it peculiar about our freedom in Christ and the fact that we just hold fast to the promises of God and nothing else. And that's always going to be under attack and that's always going to be under threat and that's always going to be laughed at and mocked and thought a bit silly and strange. Back in Abraham's family, Ishmael was older than Isaac and probably out of jealousy used to attack and taunt his his, his little brother, basically. In in Galatians, when Paul writes this, it's those teachers who are splitting the church into lots of different groups and factions and and splitting up mixed mixed social settings by their message and forcing people into circumcision to be truly part of the people of God. For us, it it might be the pressure not to bang on about Jesus so much. I've heard of it from someone in the church this week, facing real pressure on this, and just having religion that just speaks kind of blandly and kind of just generically about God and not about Jesus, because people find that so much more tasteful and so much less threatening and so much nice, and it's all about us again, really, and that's just being moral and good. Or we might elevate certain cultural standards in church so, so that we kind of make church a comfortable community of people just like us that we just find it easy to relate to and relationships are so much easier because it suits us better. Or we can impose expectations on one another that we've got to keep it all together, we've got to be okay, we've got to be good, we've got to be going strong in order to be spiritually faithful. Or maybe we just only accept others on the basis of externals, like stuff they do, and how they walk, and how uh, how they talk, and how they dress, and and whatever else. It'd be weird if it was on how people walk. I mean, you never know. You don't walk right through, my friends. You never know. Listen, we're not to allow any kind of spiritual slavery, any kind of performance-based spirituality to take hold in the church. this big message of Galatians, isn't it? We're seeing it week after week. Don't give any space. Don't give any time to that way of thinking. Get rid of that kind of uh, approach to spiritual life. Have nothing to do with that way of living, for it does not share in the inheritance of the promises of God. It does not lead into the fullness of the blessing uh, and and life that God has for us. Or as Paul writes in the first verse of the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 1, stand firm then. It is for F- freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So if it's a tale of two cities and we live in the city of freedom, the city of life and blessing and inheritance and and all of this in Christ and in God, why would you want to move from that city to the city of of spiritual slavery and and, and uncertainty and and, and religion and good works and performance and, and having to prove yourself? Why go back living in that kind of way where you have to keep up appearances and you've got to spiritually perform? Why would you want to put yourself under the law again or any kind of law spiritually? No, we are people of the Spirit, and we are children of the promise. And so those ways of thinking and those ways of living, they have no place in the kingdom of God and no place in the Christian life, and they have no place in the church of Christ. Now, Paul has written written this letter so strongly. You should see where we're going to end up next week with what he says so directly and so confrontational in some ways. But it makes sense, doesn't it, given what's at stake? Given what's happening to these Christians who he so loved and he shared his life and he shared the gospel with, and now, now where they're being led spiritually, it makes sense that he will just be this passionate and this compassionate and this direct with them. And it makes sense that our sermons and our discussions in gospel family all have that same edge. A lot is at stake here, guys. This is the good news. This is the amazing, the revolutionary, the eternity-transforming news that all of the life and the promises of heaven are ours, and quite simply through believing, through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. We've got to. We ought to defend that with zeal. We ought to double down on that together. And in so doing, we will have life and we'll have freedom as God has intended it for us. Let me pray that God would do that in us and amongst us. Lord, we thank you for this word of truth and this word of life. Lord, sometimes we get a bit lost in passages like this. There's a lot going on. There's lots of stuff being thrown out and it can, can confuse us. But Lord, thank you that it is plain and clear, the simple message that you want us to trust in Christ and, and, and stay trusting in him and have our freedom and our life in him. Thank you for all that you promised to us in him. Thank you that every one of your promises is yes in him. And so, Lord, help us in this church. Help us to be that, that unified and that diverse family. Help us together to enjoy that fresh air of the freedom of Christ. Help us not to impose anything on one another. Help us having relating to you on that basis. Would we then relate to one another on that same basis? of grace, of freedom, of life, of love, of joy. Lord, we need, just as we needed your Spirit to bring us to life in the beginning, and we need your Spirit to keep us to the end, we need your Spirit, Holy Spirit, work in us today, work in our hearts, work in our lives, work in our gospel families, work in our relationships. It's all your work, and we just want to make ourselves open and available to you now. that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, might be glorified in our lives and in this church. Amen.